Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by my colleague, Mr. Luke Curtinine. Luke, how are you? Ted, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while. I know. It's been a well, Let's see. You did double. You, you doubled up on your Hemel podcasts last week, right? right. Yeah. That o- although, although I did help. I, I did help usher you along to uh, in your journey to write a personal segue in the office. That is true. And then that segue disappeared. Have you seen it since I wrote it? I have. It's it's reemerged. Working theory is that we were annoying people so much that somebody temporarily stole it and we then were, returned it. Yeah, we were definitely annoying people. But I will say that Hamill, who was in the office and riding the Segway a little bit too, I think that she probably was the final straw because she sort of drove it out into the middle of an area of people we don't deal with or know and then just ditched it in the middle of the room. Uh, because she came to do a podcast. Exactly. The people immediately around us have sort of I w- learned to love maybe a little strong, but learned to deal with our sort of excitement whenever we all get into the office together. But, well, and I um, would say that, but, I mean, they have they all have their own particular ex- eccentricities that we deal with as well, right? So, like, that's a that's a two-way street. Oh, of course, of course. You know, everybody's annoying in their own way, I think we can... <laughs> especially, especially me in an office setting, but yeah. But but yeah, no, so we were riding this personal segue around. It was all great fun. We were planning a little office race to do, and then it mysteriously disappeared. Never, never to be seen for the rest of the day. Although, the one thing I will say to this mystery assailant is that um, it was returned fully charged. It was only halfway charged when when it was when it disappeared. So do we? Did... Do you even know where to charge it? Like who's? We don't even know where the Segway came from, do we? Uh, no idea where the Segway came from or who it belongs to. But it was in the exact same spot where I found it the first time. So okay. I guess that's where its home is. That's just not where its charger is. And that's that I feel like is a tacit acknowledgement that it's cool for us to play with it. I think so. I okay. think so. It's cool. It's fun. I mean I've I've never I haven't spent a lot of time on those things. It's not like the full blown Segway, but it is a Segway brand like mini Segway, or I think they, I mean, they call them hoverboards. I always sort of object to that term because they don't hover, but it's that thing. It's like the thing that my nephews have. Yeah, and surprisingly easy to use. You know, whenever I would see people, uh, whenever I'd see people rolling around on them, I'd think, wow, that just looks like an accident waiting to happen. But when you actually, it takes about, what What would you say? It takes about five minutes to sort of get your bearing. Yeah, not even. Do, it took like 30 seconds. You know, yeah. like once you get it, it's it's pretty easy. Yeah, it's surprisingly intuitive. You need to put away the fear because it is a little bit strange getting on there the first time, especially since there's, like, no handle or anything. But once you're past, like, okay, this is a little awkward, then it, it is super easy. Yeah, that's true. It's one of the it's, – it's, it's the same theory that goes with riding a bike or something, where if you get scared, you stop pedaling. And if you stop pedaling, that's what makes you fall down and thus get scared, right? You kind of need to commit to it in order for it to work. And it's yeah. the same thing with a Segway. Like, if you start – sort of trying to correct for your balance then suddenly the segue will start responding to that and you'll probably fall off and i don't have the best self-preservation instincts so that tends to be good for me like i'm i'm i pick up those things fairly quickly because i'm so dumb that i'm not afraid enough so (laughs) you know i and i want to get into questions but i will just say before we go on the first time i ever saw someone on one of those little hoverboard things. I was down in Red Hook in in Brooklyn, and it was a dude who was wearing, like, a dress shirt and tight white pants while he was on the mini Segway smoking a cigarette and eating a mango. And it was like, (laughs) this is, I think, the coolest person or the worst person I've ever seen in my life. There's there's no way this guy falls into any gray area on humanity. He is either the best or the worst person. (laughs) It's a good take. A very, a very Brooklyn. It was a very Brooklynite person, right? Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, there's if only because there are so many different sorts of people and and wonderful weirdos walking around that borough. Let's get into some of the questions here, and I I want you to start. 
Yeah, so the first one uh, off the British Open last week, obviously I r- write and talk a lot about golf for, for the win, and the British Open's last week, so I'm um, very exciting. Jordan Spieth won, and the way the custom is that when you win the British Open trophy, which is called the Claret Jug, um, you get to keep it for a year. So the, the, it, basically everybody always drinks alcohol um, from it. So some Phil Mickelson drank a 50,000 dollar bottle of wine from it um Roy McIlroy drank Jägermeister from it um, which John's, is gross which That's is gross. gross um and dicey to say the least uh John Spieth so far has celebrated with champagne pretty pretty solid choice I guess but my question is if you won the British Open and the Claret Jug what would you drink or what would you do rather or drink from the Claret Jug I feel like I would defame it in some way you know like there's no way I'm respecting the sanctity of the claret judge i like this photo i'm looking at at your article about things that have happened to it uh i like this guy zach johnson is using it to hold corn i feel like that's a good one uh i i also like i'm i'd be tempted to do i feel like i'm i'm such a bad winner that if i won the british open by whatever means that it would take uh, which right now looks like a long shot for me, but uh, I would. Yeah, the, the advanced metrics don't line up favorably on this one. Too. I would probably just. It would be a year full of me Instagramming myself with that jug, basically everywhere. Like it would be like a flat Stanley type thing, where it's like, oh, here I am at the Eiffel Tower, and guess who's with me? It's the claret jug, jug, because you suckers couldn't win this, and I did because I'm the best at golf. Yeah, and 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 for for people listening to this who may not know what it sounds like, how would you describe this? I mean, the the way I would describe this is it's funny that this is a trophy because back in back in the day, you know, back in the sort of 1700s, 1800s, or before that even 1700s, 1600s, um, it's it's very much a standard sort of thing that you would serve wine out of during it's like a, a decanter. Yeah, it's a decanter, exactly. Um, so, so it is intended to hold sort of wine or um, not whiskey. So red wine, I think, is what it's supposed to be. I wonder what you do about the germs. Is it silver? Like, do you have to do you have to polish this? It is. It's silver. I've held the claret jug, so I can speak firsthand experience with this. Um, yeah, it's silver. So I'm assuming they clean it, right? I I certainly hope. Well, because so. it would it would get tarnished if you're taking it out all year long. Like, do they do they clean it up after for the new? When do you give it back? Do you not give it back until you lose the British Open, or do you give it back at the beginning of the tournament? The beginning, so the day of the tournament, you give okay. it back. Then you hand no it back. So I guess they polish it up. Silver polish probably wouldn't taste great mixed with wine or something. But um, yeah, so they polish it up, give it back. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what I would do with it. I mean, I'm, t- I'm tempted to try to put like I don't know, like melt chocolate or melt cheese and pour that over oh, something. Oh yeah, it could be a right? great like fondue thing. Yeah, like melted cheese in there would work well. It right? doesn't have it's it's so it's got a very narrow spout. Like I would, my first instinct was if it's a cup, I would just eat my cereal out of it every morning. And like I, again, <laughs> I would Instagram that every single day. But it—you can't really eat cereal out of this. You couldn't get a spoon down the little the little thing. Yeah, it's very much a sort of faucet at the top of it, right? Yeah. Like it, it very much closes in. So you, you, it, it is something that would need to be poured. But I guess you could pour like you know, put some queso in there and pour that over something. It, it, if, if you were to put a food in, it would have to be a liquid something uh, uh, that would be poured over something else. Yeah, I mean, you could you could use it, like, for serving soup, I guess, but I don't really like soup. Yeah, and soup's kind of, like, soup's kind of lame to put in a claret jug. I mean, you know, you just want the British Open. You kind of want something more grandiose than soup. Like cheese, like, like cheese. Cheese, cheese works, because you can put cheese, you're like, oh, would you like some cheese on that? hot dog or whatever. <laughs> right, and that's the thing, and that's 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 exactly how I'd play it, right? Like, I would, then it would be, like, I, I had a, a viral Instagram post of, like, some guy putting melted cheese on my sandwich. It would be that. Every single day would be, like, me pouring cheese or chili or, like, some all sorts of, like, very lowbrow foods that I am serving out of the claret jug. <laughs> I guess you could also put maybe, like, Hey, I guess you couldn't put like olive oil in it, right? Just have it as a kitchen utility product. Uh, anytime you needed to sort of oil up something you're cooking, you just pour it out. But but but, but I'm not sure olive oil is actually supposed to breathe that much. So uh, I don't know. Oddly, 
Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, you keep olive oil in dark bottles and generally seal it. I don't. Yeah, and you seal it. Right? I don't know so like, what the half life of olive oil is, but yeah, that that sounds right. I mean, I would I would hope I would know more as an Italian man about how to keep olive oil, but we just have a bottle up in our shelf. There is something cool about just having the claret like, constantly at your dinner table with red wine in it, and just being like, "Oh, help yourself." There you yeah. go. There you go. Uh, all right, so so good. I think we're on the same page. We would definitely not be respectful of a claret <laughs> jug. You would, you would. Yeah, but I would. I, I, I would try. You, you you would be living it up pretty large. But you know that's your prerogative. That's why they. It's yours for the year. So right. Do whatever you want. Well, yeah, it. and the Stan, I mean the Stanley Cup. I love that style trophy where you have it to do whatever you want for a year and then you have to give it back. Like I was in a fantasy baseball league that had that for a while where it's, there's only one trophy. You don't get a new trophy next year. You just have to give it over to the new winner. So you're no longer the champion. Yeah, and there's something great about it with individual sports too because it's literally yours for the year. You know, you're not splitting time. You're, oh, right. You could, you could take this thing and go skydiving with it if you wanted to and it would be fair game. <laughs> well, and I think the Stanley Cup has like all sorts of crazy stories. Like it's it's wound up like at the bottom of a river one time. Like there's just like all sorts of crazy nonsense has happened with partying hockey players who brought the Stanley Cup out with them. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, next question. Uh, this one, uh, this is one of mine, and it's something that weighs on me a lot right now. So we're approaching the Major League Baseball trade deadline, which is August 1st, I believe, this year. Used to traditionally, it was always July 21st, July 31st. They've pushed it back a day. Uh, I I gotta make sure they pushed it back a day because I don't want to be just telling everybody the wrong trade deadline and having them tuning into. Uh, Tuning into the the wrong date. Oh yeah, it was no, it was uh, it was August first, just for 2016. So I guess it's back to the 31st today uh, this year. So we're a week away, and we are approaching the time, the season. This is the season. We're very much in the thick of it, when just hundreds, hundreds of trade rumors and possibilities are reported, and there's a huge appetite for this online. And I am a participant. I love reading trade rumors and and sort of speculating about what could happen. But at the same time, I wonder if at some point it just becomes like, it it feels like to me that for the last seven years, really since we had Twitter, that at some point we'd get to saturation for trade rumors. And this is across sports, but it doesn't seem like it's gotten that point. Like it, 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 it feels like eventually people should tune all of this out and say, okay, like this is just noise. Tons of stuff is, is happening in front offices. Maybe this is all true. Maybe every single reported rumor is really something that they're talking about in a major league or an NBA or a soccer front office. But so much of it comes out that it's so hard to tell what's real and what's going to really happen versus what is just something that a team might leak for some purpose or something that an agent might leak for some purpose or any other number of possibilities there. Uh, And yet every year I still find myself refreshing MLB trade rumors all day long at this time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's one of these things where I used to, when I was, you know, growing up following sports, I, I was very much into sort of soccer transfer rumors, like very much like, you know, thoroughly invested in it. Over time, I sort of started um, taking or leaving it in the sense that you just sort of after a while take for a given that most of these things aren't going to happen, that they are indeed rumors. And then um, nowadays, I almost tune all of them out entirely. Uh uh, you know, I pay attention to them, but I don't really like invest myself in them. Um, it's interesting you you bring this up because it, you know soccer. I, I can't really speak to baseball or basketball as well as I can speak to soccer. And um, about two years ago, for for the win on an article that's on for the win, it's about I, I interviewed the chairman and owner of Crystal Palace, which is a Premier League soccer team, and he said something really interesting. He talked about how. You know, when fans and supporters think about things like trade rumors, they think about it in a very, like, A to B to C way. Like, they think, you know, Team A wants this player, um, they go out and get him and they get the, and, and they close the deal. When in reality, it is so much more complicated than that. Oh, and, yeah. And, and it just, you know, there are agents and middlemen and, you know, players change their mind and then the price changes based on demand and then another team comes in. So, 
even if there is a rumor circulating, it may not necessarily be false. It's just, you know, in stage one of a 25 step process. And that it's, it's, you know, and I think sometimes fans get frustrated or really excited from the get go. But the truth is, is that I think GMs and owners are constantly thinking about ways to make their team better and throwing stuff out there. And 90% of the time, none, nothing really comes of it. And I think that in all sports, you know, and I think that this probably started with baseball with the Billy Bean types and, and the uh, the movement of like of front offices away from, you know, ex-players toward businessmen and towards, you know, and, and not enough businesswomen, but uh, mostly businessmen at this point. And I think... It used to be you would see teams get completely fleeced in deals, and now it feels like they're – and it still happens to some extent, and there will still be a, the occasional trade where you're like, whoa, that one does not look good for this team. But it seems more and more like teams just sort of match up in fair deals that make sense for both. Like in, in Moneyball, you saw you know, Billy Bean, you watched him as he uh, made a stooge out of, I believe, Steve Phillips, who was at the time the Mets GM. But that, I don't think, happens so much anymore. It's more of like these two smart people sort of get together and line up on, like, these are our needs, and this is the asking price, and this is what we're willing to move, and these are the prospects you can choose from, and stuff like that. And and so um, it almost feels like the panic and anxiety that is involved in trade rumors in many cases is, at this point, you know, it's to some extent, it's all just sort of a crapshoot. Like, you're you're trading players of these talent levels for these talent levels, and it's going to be that way. Sometimes your prospects work out. Sometimes they don't. And then in retrospect, the trade looks good or bad. But I feel like, and maybe this is anecdotal, maybe this is just because I know more about baseball and I've become a little more patient with these things, but it seems like more and more there aren't really great trades or terrible trades. It's just a matter of teams uh, finding mutual, you know, places where they line up on needs and then making those deals. Yeah, and I think the prevalence of trade rumors too is a product of just everything leaking all the time. I mean, think about the way that like when we play fantasy baseball or football or something you're not really going into it with a shopping list right you're not saying like i want aaron Rodgers." i mean you might but usually you're just looking around every team and being like oh, i guess his stats are okay like maybe we could do this and eh, that wouldn't really work and then moving on until you find what would seem like a taker now imagine if like every one of these ideas that you had leaked <laughs> that's where right you get right that's trade. the thing As, and 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 i and i've i've had some rather contentious interactions in the past with people who are in the business of reporting rumors. And I don't fault anyone for doing that, nor would I say that the rumors reported aren't true as as reported. This team might be considering this totally wacky deal or trading away its big star or, or whatever it is. But considers just means a lot of things, right? We all consider tons of things in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, so like, and you never know really how far it gets. And now, like, in, in baseball, at least this season, we've already seen, and it feels like it's going to be a particularly active trade deadline for a number of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, I think, is they've trade, they've changed the draft pick compensation for people who are leaving as free agents. So it's now less valuable to hang on to your departing player, and you should kind of try to get whatever you can for him when you can. Uh, and so we're going to see a lot, and we've already seen, like, so uh, John Heyman, who is uh, a very long-running baseball reporter, who is one of the best scoops guys in the business, has been, uh, like, took on uh, former GM Jim Bowden, who works for ESPN and uh, has a, a less uh, stellar record when it comes to repo- re- reporting rumors. And, and you see sort of, like, these these professional dudes just blasting each other on Twitter for their their scoops being wrong. And so there's this, like, added intrigue to it of, like, who's actually out there getting it right. And I think there's always a chance that everyone's getting it right, and it just depends on who you're talking to in the front office. Maybe my guy that I've got as a source says, like, yeah, we're kind of talking about having trading this guy. And that's true. They did talk about trading this guy, but they didn't talk about it with another guy in the front office who's not Lou 
looped into that conversation yet, who talks to a different reporter and is like, no, we're not trading that guy. Yeah, and then sometimes people just lie, right? Like you have an agent being like, oh yeah, there are five teams interested in my guy. You know? Right, <laughs> like, right, and that can, that can always be the case. That could always be the case, and you you don't know, you know? And that's that's kind of the frustrating thing about it, is you, it feels like you really never know where it's tied to and where it's coming from, and that's always been kind of what has made me annoyed about the whole process but. yeah i mean i mean it's interesting it happens so much in soccer and they have it was actually becoming such a big deal and such a headache and distraction and a constant conversation that that throughout the soccer season runs from august until may and the transfer window is shut the entire time apart from for one month in january and now they're talking about shutting that january transfer window too just because there's just so much so all the business gets confined to sort of the three month off season and and i actually kind of like it that way personally because all the business gets done it's sort of crazy for three months but then but then you're kind of done with it and then you just get to enjoy the sport rather than this constant like uh, rumors and like tangential i mean it, it's interesting like I forget where this was, but a few years ago, there was a rumor about like Chelsea or Man sorry, it was about Manchester United trying to sign like Neymar and who's like an incredibly good soccer player. And, you know, asked, they asked the chief executive about it. And his answer was, I'm paraphrasing, his answer was like, yeah, of course we're interested in signing Neymar. Like, right, who wouldn't th that's be? A, who wouldn't that's be? Exactly. That's the best very, soccer guy. I even yeah, I know like, that guy. Of course, we like keep an eye and like in contact with his age, and we're kind of interested. Being able to is a very different matter, <laughs> right. like, and, and I think that that's that like often it's fun. It's fine to talk about trade rumors. It's fun to speculate and to think, oh, this could work. These parts could work together, but take it all with a grain of salt would be my advice to fans that like, you know, sometimes these are just ideas. Sometimes it's just public posturing and, um, you know, sometimes it's just so early in a very complicated process. Yeah. I think the, the main thing to emphasize is just that it's an extremely complicated process, you know? So, so who knows what's happening and what's going into it. And, and I think like, you know, baseball, like I would almost be tempted in sometimes to be like, yeah, I wish they would do that too. Just, you know, shut it down, no trades during the season. And, and you, you go, with what you've got but the season is so long and baseball players especially pitchers just get hurt at such an enormously high rate that saying to the Dodgers now okay Clayton Kershaw just got hurt and you got a bunch of other injured pitchers and you've got all these prospects that you're not really going to need because they're blocked at the major league level. I don't think it's fair to the Dodger fan to be like, no, you you can't, you can't, you have no option for replacing Clayton Kershaw in the rotation. You just got to call up some guy who's not really ready to do that from, from AAA because this is what you're going with. And now there's 60 games left in the season and you are forced to the Dodgers happen to have a huge lead. So it's, they're probably not at that big of a risk, but you know, teams with the assets to to bring in good players to tell them no you can't i think is is probably not good for the sport yeah and it probably and it makes sense too in american sports where like you know in soccer nobody ever runs down their contract really whereas like if you look at let's say you know cleveland fans would kill me but again this is just a specular very much speculation but let's say lebron has decided you know that he wants to leave at the end of next season like the the calves would essentially if there was a trade, if, if there was a blackout trade zone, it would mean that the Cavs would have to trade him now, basically. Right, Even, and then uh, and then that changes the value, right? Because then every other team knows they need to trade him now, and then they're willing to give up less for LeBron James. Yeah, so like you're in this lose-lose situation where you either trade him now for less or you just hang on for him and lose him for nothing. Whereas, like, at least with the trade deadline later, you know, there's maybe time for the Cavs to change LeBron's mind. There's all kinds of other factors. You know, maybe they can now go out and get a move um, because they have a bit more time to, like, pair with LeBron or whatever. Like, Figure out um, what he wants and what he's going to need and how you're going to keep him or if, you know, whether or not he's definitely out and you need to figure out how to build behind yeah, him. Yeah, or they can just, like, you know, I don't like this. I, I, we're going to lose him, but we don't like this trade in um we don't like this trade in july i'm gonna wait until september or whatever right. and and trade them yeah 
Well, uh, yeah. I mean, we'll obviously, uh, I will be monitoring and probably writing about this stuff and cashing in on this very intrigue that uh, sometimes bothers us uh, in, in terms of web traffic because ultimately everybody likes reading about stuff like this because it's fun. We all play fantasy sports, and now you get to see it really playing out on a grand scale. Uh, give me another question. Okay, so you reminded me of this actually about an hour ago because Charles, one of our colleagues, um, said, uh, you know, I, he's... The people know Charles. The people know Charles. He's on the show sometimes. He always asks questions. Charles Curtis, uh, him, him and Ted Perra, the, they consist entirely of about, well, they consist about 80% of my sum total of New York City knowledge. So um, very New York, always a very good and fun and informing New York-centric podcast whenever he comes on. But um, he was talking about how the Jets are going to go 0 and 16 this year. And you go, come on, Charles, the Jets are never go anything worse than 8 and 8 or anything other than 8 and 8. And, and, it, and it just reminded me of a theory about how... Um, well, my theory is that if you look around sort of other sports towns and usually like high performing sports or, or high performing teams in other sports towns, um, you have these situations like in Philly where there's a fan base who's pretty ravenous, but it's not so intense, the media scrutiny and the, and the national spotlight that they can afford to spend a few years sort of tank and tank your way back to success, essentially. Whereas for as long as I can remember in New York, there's always been this sort of need for teams to tank. But because the scrutiny and the New York tabloids and the fan base and how big it is and the just the sheer scope of the national spotlight that's constantly on New York teams, they never truly can or they've never really had an organization strong enough to be able to withstand that that sort of tidal wave. So you always end up in these situations where the Jets look, now they may true be, truly be terrible um, this year, but what the Jets traditionally have done is they look like they're going to be awful, which would probably be good long to me, medium to long term for their franchise, but they end up re-signing Ryan Fitzpatrick and squeezing out six wins or something. <laughs> or yeah, like, I mean, the Jets are the worst, are the best example, I think, of this, because they're never really good and they're never – I mean, this this past year, I wasn't really watching, but they're never truly awful, or it doesn't feel like they're they're often truly, like, 2-14 bad or 0-16 bad. So I always joke, like, no matter what the Jets' record are, no matter what the Jets' final record is, it's they're 8-8. Eight eight. They're yeah. just always kind of 8-8 eight because eight they're never going to get the best draft pick, and they're never going to be good enough to be the Super Bowl champion. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, and you know, I was I covered the Patriots Jets game in the Meadowlands last year where the Jets were just awful and they almost beat the Pats. Like they looked awesome <laughs> against them. Like it was the last it was a fourth quarter score from Tom Brady that won the game. Like it, there's just this constant pressure from uh, New York the New York fan base that they never really want to see a team just truly tank even if it's what they may need. I mean the Knicks are another classic example. Yeah. Like, like there's no reason for them to be keeping hold of Carmelo. Like they should either bench him or trade him for whatever they can get from him because this team as it currently is is not good enough to win an NBA championship period. But they, they just but there's this sort of need to sort of give New York fans a little bit of what they want, which is just a few wins even though it's not a great long-term strategy. So I think a lot of that talk comes from the Yankees, like the Yankees front office itself has long said, you can't rebuild in New York, you can't tank in New York, stuff like that. And the Mets are actually a good example of a team who pulled it off. Now, it hasn't worked for the long term, they're having a rough season this year, but, uh, and, and it wasn't, I don't think it was really the Mets' idea necessarily that they should tank. What happened was their ownership lost a ton of money to in the Bernie Madoff scandal, and they were they were handcuffed financially. They were handcuffed by a series of bad contracts, and and uh, now all of a sudden their payroll had to shrink, and they had all of these uh, these big contract guys on uh, on their roster. So they kind of had to wait it out, and kind of had to tank and trade off their veterans. It was it was like a no choice scenario, and I don't know that if they still had the money or if, or if Bernie Madoff was still uh, made them believe they had the money, if this would have happened, but it did get them to the to the World Series in 2015 and, and into the postseason in 2016, so that kind of worked. Uh, the Yankees, I think, 
sort of finally came into this season, into 2017, with their fan base expecting we're not going to win a championship this year. And and what I found and what I was sort of surprised by, uh, and, and again, maybe I'm dealing with a, a self-selecting group of Yankees fans, but every Yankees fan I spoke to was thrilled that the Yankees were finally going young. They, they hadn't done it since the early 90s when George Steinbrenner was, was out of baseball for a while. They were able to build a young nucleus of players. That young nucleus of players won a ton of championships, brought you know Derek Jeter and, and Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit, though, all those guys uh, who were great Yankees, uh, Hall of Famers in, in at least two cases. And, and so... Now it felt like coming into the season, Yankee fans were all about it, and they're like, "Yep, we're gonna we're gonna deal with some growing pains. We're gonna ride out this youth movement because we've got this huge collection of talent, and we know it'll pay off a few years later." What happened, which no one expected, was the Yankees came out of the gate extremely hot. Aaron Judge turned out to be the best hitter in baseball one year after looking like maybe the worst hitter in baseball, and now the Yankees, who seemed like they were kind of planning on tanking this year don't have to tank at all. Now they're back in contention, which is just kind of nuts and how things tend to work out for the Yankees. Yeah. You know, and the, maybe you'll speak to this better than I will be able to, but there'll probably be some kind of regression to the mean at some point. If well, that it's, is it's happening. Right it's now. happening already. And, and I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to wind up in the postseason. but that they've made it look this good for this long. Um, I mean, in, in, in one way, it's a testament to Brian Cashman, who I think is a really severely underrated GM now finally getting to do what he's wanted to do for a long time. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think that it is, uh, something that makes the team a lot more interesting and makes a lot more people tune in and, and stick through, you know, these waning days. Now they're in a tough spot again for the second straight year where fans are only almost, uh, at least the people I talk to, are almost concerned about them playing too well in advance of the trade deadline because everyone's sort of still looking a little bit down the road here, even though they are in contention this season, and you don't want the Yankees like turning around after doing all of these incredible moves to, to, to make this youth movement happen. You don't want to see them turn around and go all in for a veteran pitcher just for the sake of trying to win this season when they don't look as good as the Red Sox or the Astros in their, in their league. Yeah. And you know, it's one of these things too, where, um, because the Yankees are the Yankees and they've just won so much in the past that um, they probably could withstand truly, like let's say the season didn't go as well as it is going for them. Let's say they truly tanked. They could probably withstand that for a few years because they're the Yankees. They, you know, they've accrued so much sort of uh, capital in the past, you know, however many years just winning constantly that, um, that, that fans would forgive them a few years. I mean, I, I have no doubt that whenever Tom Brady retires, that if Bill Belichick stays, he will be able to do something similar, right? Like fans won't be furious at Bill Belichick if Tom Brady retires and they go, um, two and 14 or something. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think for Yankees fans, it almost seemed like they got bored with just being pretty good every year. When I, after the, they won all those championships, they won another in, in 2009, which was almost a little random, but it felt like every year they were good enough to kind of be in the postseason race or even make the playoffs, but not never like a truly great team. And what you saw was like, I got a, I, a few years ago, I got playoff tickets at Yankee Stadium for eight bucks on StubHub because it was just like, the oh, like it's so ho-hum when the Yankees make the playoffs playoffs if they don't seem like they have the team that's going to win the World Series that people are like, ah, I don't really care. You don't invest in veteran players that a team brings in the way you do in a guy that came up through the system and that you followed as a prospect and you followed as a young player and you feel like you get to know. So I think that it, it makes people a lot more excited about the team if the team is going, at least in baseball, if the team is going young and the team is going homegrown. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, support for the For the Win podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners 
allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com FTW. That's rocketmortgage.com FTW. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org. Number 3030. Luke, I have a very important question. Let's hear it. So last week in USA Today, there was an article from out of Orlando uh, about uh, something I did not know about, which is, feels like it's, it's right in my wheelhouse of things I would know about, and I had never heard of this before. Um, there is a monkey issue in central Florida, and there are feral rhesus macaque monkeys, which are basically, um, uh, it's basically like, I think, the standard monkey that you think of when you think monkey. I know it's the type of monkey people often have as pets, if you can have a monkey as pet. Uh, Someone put three monkeys in a park, on an island in a park in central Florida. Uh, The monkeys bred, they swam off the island, and now... They're, they have continued to breed. No one is really sure how many wild monkeys there are in Central Florida. There are a lot in this one park, and they have been seen as many as like 20 to 25 miles away. Uh, because what happens, I guess, in monkey society, if there's an alpha male, then the other males will will break off and form separate troops and spread out. Uh, so there might be, they think there might be at least... 200 monkeys just in that park uh and i want to know if this is a problem i think it is a pro- it's, it's interesting because florida has such a truly tropical climate you know in, in not in the whole not in the hawaii sense of the word but in like the tropical rainforest mm-hmm. sense of the word where the, it can actually um it, you know it's the same reason they have pythons a bunch of weird python right that's another florida. issue in florida is there's there's uh, i was going to mention that another invasive species is now there now there's a bounty on pythons if you kill a python in florida you get paid for it because there's too many pythons it's terrifying it, yeah it's it, it's funny and like you know pythons obviously don't uh, aren't native to the area but they can live there perfectly fine because there's really not that much difference in the whole scheme of things between that and their native uh, habitat um is it a problem yeah you know monkeys are one of those things where you know if you would have asked me maybe what well, i'm 28 now if you would have asked me like 10 years ago 12 years ago i would have been like oh man monkeys are awesome i'd love to have one as a pet but learning a little more, you know, watching basic, and when I say learning more, I mean like watching a handful of Planet Earths on BBC. Oh, the <laughs> monkey Planet Earth was so good, though. The it was monkeys, so good, yeah. but it was. But you you start to appreciate how annoying they are, right? Like, I mean, I remember this one where uh, this this poor woman, I I can't remember where it was, but she was in the kitchen cooking and she leaves, and the monkeys orchestrate what. Is essentially a coordinated attack to uh, slip through the window to part to grab food to pass it off to their other monkeys who pass it sort of down the line. They they just ramsack the place and leave. And you know, it's monkeys are basically smart enough where if you had a lot of them, it's it becomes an incredibly annoying problem. I mean, it's not like mosquitoes or something which are annoying, but you can just kind of swat them away. Monkeys are smart enough to be able to figure out ways to like outsmart you when you're not paying attention and And i am all about it i'm all about it is my thing (laughs) because i want that little element the wild card element of life in central florida that maybe i put a soda down and a monkey comes and steals it that's kind of fun i don't know I, i this is one of my one of my favorite things is when a species that doesn't actually fit in the ecosystem is somehow introduced to the ecosystem and then goes wild like i i I know that that's a bad thing for the ecosystem. I know that like naturalists will be like, no, this is bad. But I feel like you have to be like, okay, well, man, human is also part of the ecosystem. And so one of the messed up things we do is sometimes we like, sometimes there's a rat on the ship and we land in New Zealand. And now New Zealand has this massive, New Zealand had no 
natural uh, land mammals. It had it had bats and seals and stuff like that, but no land mammals living on New Zealand. New Zealand became like overrun with rats because there were no predators for rats, and there were tons of birds. So the rats were just like going to town on all these <laughs> birds, and now they have this huge move, and they're trying to get rid of all the rats by 2050. It's a huge problem in New Zealand because ultimately the problem is is us. It's humanity. Um, Nutria, and do you know about Nutria in Louisiana? Uh, Nutria is a type of South American rodent. It's like a, it, it kind of looks like the rodents of unusual size from the Princess Bride. It's got big, ugly orange teeth, and it's very, it's like a giant looking rat or beaver. And a couple, uh, I think they were, they were raising them for, for pelts in Louisiana, and, and a few got loose. And now the entire Louisiana bayou is overrun with Nutria. Again, there's a bounty on them, so people can go out. I think it's something like $10.00. If you shoot a nutria and bring the pelt in, you get money because they need to get rid of these nutria so badly because they're chewing up all the wetlands and and changing the the ecology of things. Uh, I feel like every instance of this is kind of fun. I have been steadfast in my idea that we should just close all the zoos, let the animals all out, and just kind of see what happens. Uh, but my absolute favorite, and, and this is true, so uh, Pablo Escobar had a private zoo, because if you're a drug lord, you get a private zoo. That's like part of the deal. Oh, that's part of the deal. Okay, and yeah. <laughs> hippos escaped from his private zoo and have been breeding along the Amazon for years. And now they don't know how many hippos there are in the Am- Amazon, but apparently it seems like they breed, at a, for whatever reason, at a much higher rate in South America than they do in their native Africa, so uh, there is a hippo problem in Colombia, and I kind of think, I mean, I hope everyone's okay, but I kind of think that's awesome. Like, that's just kind of awesome. Like, now, like, wild card, we've, there was this crazy drug lord guy, and now there are hippos. I guess this is probably the part of my, of the podcast where I should apologize on behalf of England, right? Because, like, if rats or wherever your country has been invaded by but by a species like that it probably came from either england or europe or something a place that's just been around for ages and was really active in sort of the early days in terms of sending ships different places so um apologies on that front uh for essentially spreading as uh, for spreading um uh, disappointment across the globe. <laughs> most uh, most of the world's problems begin and end with the British. <laughs> That's always been my stance. <laughs> I, I, I can understand that. I can understand that. But um, but in all seriousness, you know, yeah, it, it's it's one of these things where I think I I think Hawaii also didn't have any. Um, any native sort of land species, though I may be wrong on that. You know, I think right. they have squirrels, well, but a, I th- yeah, go well, on. I think those were intentionally imported for some reason or another. So the yeah, so the um, this is I was just reading about this in the West Indies and Hawaii. People, there was such a big rat problem that they brought in mongooses to kill the rats, and now there's a mongoose problem, which is like, have you not heard about the old woman who swallowed a fly, right? <laughs> like, that, that, there is a warning about this very thing, is that you're, now you need to bring in something to kill the mongooses, and guess what? Then you're going to have too many of that thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, mongoose, or mongoose, or whatever the plural of that, they really like humans, right? Like, I know in India, um, you know, the, the uh, people used to feed them in order to keep the snakes away from the playing children, and um, so all of a sudden you go to India, and like, mongoose are almost like squirrels. They kind of come up to you, and they kind of look for food and sniff around you, and they're not really quite as aggressive as, as naturally, because they're uh, not domesticated, but they're sort of in-between wild and domesticated. Uh, it is called a, I don't know what the ISSG is, that's some sort of, uh, the, it's not the, I don't think that this is the same as the International Serious Support Group, uh, I am assuming this is a different ISSG, um, but it calls the mongoose a voracious and opportunistic predator. Oh, interesting. Uh, mongoose are cool. I, 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 that's another planet Earth. Like, just watching the way a mongoose will just fully dismantle a cobra. Just really cool. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all for it. And, like, so maybe you let the mongooses loose 
in the mongoose, I don't know what the plural is. You let them loose in Florida and see if they can do something about the python problem. And like it's, and I like, I kind of like Florida as the breeding ground for all of this because it just seems like Florida is kind of this weird petri dish on a human scale too. So like maybe just let all the animals loose. Just, let's just see what happens in Florida. They got feral pigs in Florida. Uh, that's always fun. I've seen a few. Like and and uh, pigs are super interesting because. In just like a couple of generations from domestic pig, they basically go back to being boar and they grow tusks and fur again. Oh yeah, I saw one of the they uh, they could I could be confusing with something else, but first time I was in Arizona, I was playing golf and in the desert I saw this boar thing and it was just basically a massive hairy horned pig and I was like, oh my god, that yeah, this, this <laughs> things are, yeah, it's I mean, I'm I'm like again I you know I know I know it's not the best for our planet. But I'm all about experimenting with putting new animals in places they don't belong and seeing what happens. That's my whole in, thing. Until you're having a nice day, sitting on your porch, accidentally leave the door open while you pop to the bathroom with a nice sandwich on your kitchen counter and a horde of monkeys just tear through it, steal it. No, <laughs> I'll give it up. You know what? Look, if the monkeys outsmart me, then it's on me to come up with some sort of way to monkey-proof my sandwich, right? Like, that's on me because it's, it's humans' fault that the monkeys are here. So now I got to adjust. Like, we, the, the monkeys have to adapt. The monkeys, part of the reason the monkeys are spreading so fast is that rhesus macaques are extremely adaptable. Right. So now I got to I got to adjust in turn. That's how it works. Fair enough. Fair enough. The, the evolutionary war has never fully been. That's fun. that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Give us our last question of the day. Simple question. Um, I, I watched the new Star Wars or the latest Star Wars for the first time uh, ever because it's now just dropped on Netflix. Um, Darth Vader obviously makes an appearance. And, and, uh, and it, it got so me thinking. Wait, are you talking about are you talking about Rogue One or are you talking about the episode seven? I forget what it was called. Rogue One, okay. the most recent one that was released. Um, you know, so what it, it's in between episode four and five. I yeah, believe, it's like the standalone right? thing. Yeah, the good one. It was really it's, good. I thought it was really good. I thought it was good. Maybe a little action scene heavy, but oh, but uh, oh, but good in the whole scheme of things. I don't, think, anyway. I don't think there's any such thing. But go on. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Darth Vader makes an appearance. Make, got me thinking. Who do you think is the greatest villain in TV or movie history? That is a really good question, and you posed it to me before we went on, and I didn't really think through my answer. Um, are we including like? horror story villains or because it, it's such a broad right? it is. it's like you could Admi- say like oh admitted, admittedly broad um i'm you know i would say just any bad guy that you think is is should be up there on the rankings um personally i i don't think darth vader i think he's up there certainly top five probably top three but um the thing about vader is that uh deep in his heart he's good Right, like he, um, he's he's really. I hate that aspect of it. I hate. There's nothing worse. Like I wish that the third new, the third prequel never, where he goes no when he finds out that Padme has died. That is the worst moment of Star Wars for me. Almost, (laughs) almost ruins the entire (laughs) franchise. It's so bad. But you know, but but what I'm saying is like. You know, he is a bad guy who does bad things, but he's also gotten there because he's so conflicted, right? So, like, to me, I don't think you can have, you can say the best bad guy or the worst bad guy ever is actually a guy who kind of wishes he was good or conflicted. So I think he's got to be kind of evil to the core, but has to have some, like, nuance to him. Um, Voldemort, from the Harry Potter series, is always one that jumps to mind ahead of him because he's not... He, he's he's just evil to the core. He loves power, but he's not ignorant. You know, I think a lot of poorly written bad guys they become, you know, really ignorant. You know, it's almost like the Doctor Evil parody, the the guy Doctor Evil parodies in Austin Powers, right? Where like he holds somebody at gunpoint and then explains his entire plan. Right. right. <laughs> like I hate those are just very poor. Like Voldemort in the Harry Potter series is very smart. Does that ever happen? Do you think that ever happens in real life? Like if. Because uh, I've never, I've never killed anyone, and nor have I intended ever intended to kill anyone. I've never had anyone intend to kill me. Like I've never had that showdown where I enter a room with someone that I am there to kill or someone that is there to kill me. But do you think if that's your, if you're, if you know, if you know, going into this situation, like I am here specifically for the purpose of killing this person. 
Does anyone really bother to explain it first? Yeah, I don't think so, right? But like, that happens think, in every movie. I, I, I guess you can maybe get arrogant and be like, ha ha, this is how I bested you. Right, <laughs> like you want maybe you want that thrill of of explaining to the person that you've won now. But yeah. again, that's that's hubris, right? Like if you, I, I feel like if you're being smart about it, you get in, you come into the room, you kill me, and you get out. You don't tell me first because that only gives me time to escape the situation. Yeah, you know, and that all plays into this sort of idea that I hate stupid bad guys. Like, the Joker in Batman is very evil and twisted. Not a stupid guy, or not an ignorant guy, you know? Actually kind of an evil genius, or is an evil genius. Like, um... Uh, so, so those are the kind of those are the kind of villains that I think are the most compelling to watch. My favorite villains. So, like, I, I would again, it would change by genre, right? Like, I my favorite horror movie villain is is easily Michael Myers because he's because he is has the mask and he is expressionless and he is charging forward at at all. Like, it's just like you cannot stop this guy. It's like the sort of like the the classic horror movie uh, evil is like this dude who you can shoot and will just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. So that's fun. And he's great at popping up and scaring people, which is what I like in horror movies. Uh, But I particularly, I have always had a a soft spot for the comedy villain, like the great bad guys in funny movies. So like, I'm almost tempted to say the greatest villain in movie history is Shooter McGavin. (laughs) <laughs> he's so good that Christopher McDonald is so good at that part it is so good and you're right like when you think it's a definitely different direction but if you think about it, like you hate shooting a gap oh like, he's every, so detestable it's like great. every time he pops on screen you're like ah oh, screw this guy and he's <laughs> such a great representative of like everything Happy Gilmore would and should hate about golf no offense like I know yeah. that if Shooter McGavin was a real guy you'd be like you would be all about how great he is and his greatness at golf and like his his classy performance at Augusta and like the what the golf world needs is someone to take those people down yeah no it's a good or like um in other golf movies uh what judge smales and caddyshack or right. something just yeah. somebody like you know a bit of a caricature but somebody just hateable nonetheless um so yeah so like like all all the things that come to mind are like this guy is like as as comedy bad guy yeah, the worst kind of bad guys are the are the stupid kind. You know, like I, I know you're not a Game of Thrones watch, but like Cersei in Game of Thrones is just like, you know, it's a, such a good show and you really hate her. But it's the people who, you know, sort of born on third base and think they hit a triple and think they outsmart everyone when really they're just making a series of terrible moves and kind of getting away with it. I'm really ignorant. Like those are the worst. Or those are the worst kind of villains in my mind. They're just you know, I think the best villains are the ones you kind of like. I respect a little bit, and um, yeah, I can't stand those 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 other kind. I like the uh, Javier Bardem character in in No Country for Old Men. Have you seen that? Yes, like, yes, yes. Super creepy, but like yeah, like super creepy, but didn't seem like fully nuts. And like also like the I see, I feel like he wasn't there to explain to people why he was killing them. Right, he was just there to kill people. Yeah, and he wasn't like befuddling around right like he wasn't making mistake like he was a very like intelligent guy he was just working he was just using that towards a very destructive end yeah and he had the coin toss thing a little weird like again like i don't know that that's that doesn't feel realistic to me but again like who knows because who what who are the people who are hired killers i don't think i know any of them in person so i can't really speak to what they're like yeah, but and, and even the coin toss thing is very different than um, what like Two Face in in the Dark Knight or something. You know, he's not like he doesn't have this whole like elaborate backstory and dramatic effect. He kind of just flips the coin and either shoots right, them very quickly right. or not. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think of other good examples of bad guys. Um, I like, I don't know, I always often kind of like it when the bad guy has like a little bit of a silly aspect to, again, it's like a comedy thing. Uh, the, have you seen Hamilton? Did we discuss Hamilton? Um, no, no, but I feel like I know it well enough where I may be about to understand like where you're going to so go. So the guy playing King George in yeah. the version of Hamilton I saw on Broadway was, I mean, and, and my understanding is that it's the 
part more than it was the actor, but like every single like he was he was the bad guy obviously in in Hamilton or one of the bad guys and it was like a scene stealing bad guy role because he was so outrageously silly and like you know the the whiteness of i mean i think it was the it's the only white actor in the show and like the very whiteness of king george was sort of the joke and like how impossibly lame he was and it was hilarious it was so good Oh, and that song he sings too is just the "You'll Be Back." Oh, right, it's just so right. funny. Um, yeah, yeah. I imagine it's a little bit more complicated for you, but <laughs> yeah, you know, definitely, definitely. A, but again, definitely... that's a that's a comedy bad guy. He was a comedy bad guy. Yes, yeah, you know, and it's one of these things where um, it, it's it's funny when you do look nowadays at like villains in Disney movies or whatever almost always have a british accent there's just something so menacing about that is that true that is not that is not something i picked up i find that uh present company excluded i (laughs) I tend to assume people are smarter if they have a british accent (laughs) so like i once sat down i once sat in a bar and had a conversation with a guy for way too long who is trying to explain to me that if you play roulette and it hits red three times in a row you should bet black because that the odds are better that it'll hit black and like i know how like frankly untrue that is like that is just not how that works in any way but i like sat there and talked to this guy about it for like 15 minutes and was interested because he had a british accent and so i was like oh he's obviously smart <laughs> he's saying something that's so mathematically wrong yet his accent yeah makes it was just like oh he's, he's, he's smart he sounds so refined and educated i should <laughs> listen to this guy's st- tips for roulette strategy which is literally like a game without strategy just put, <laughs> put the chips down wherever and the odds will work out the same no matter where you put the chips down so funny so funny uh what about bad guys that you are rooting for like what? Oh. Not not rooting for where, but where like the bad guy. Like I'm thinking like Taxi Driver, American Psycho movies, where the bad guy is the main guy. Oh, I guess the so so I guess to come at this from the other side of your question is that the good guys I root against are the like the the like Captain America types, you know, <laughs> the, right. the like golden child type so basically you put captain america up against anybody and this is not a commentary on america i love america i am half american do not do not american citizen he's an american citizen don't listen just to the voice the uh the uh it's the sort of golden child uh i can do no wrong i'm very moral and honorable hero that i you know with no sense of conflicted feelings about anything at all i can't stand those type of heroes so you would prefer like a tony stark who is like a a hero who's kind of in it for himself yeah like uh, lex so 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 like superman if superman is on one is on that end of the spectrum like yeah like i kind of like lex Luthor. (laughs) damn superman like so what there's this only kryptonite and everybody loves him and he's like this perfect perfect man like i don't know it's a little i think that act gets a little this is not my depth it's a stale act superman dial it back a little bit right take a day off yeah like batman's a fun character because there's like all kinds of stuff going on with batman yeah well because batman's not super right he's just a dude who is rich and rich enough to get cool stuff yeah exactly exactly so um yeah bad guys i root for i i i also um I, I also tend to root, start rooting for, you know, very rarely will I go into a film just like rooting for bad guys. But sometimes when the bad guy proves himself kind of brilliant or it's really like a kind of a genius you, and concocts these like amazing plans, you kind of want to see them come to fruition a little bit. I would bit. like more movies where the bad guys win. Yeah, I know. I don't understand why that would be so bad, you know? And, and and the way Hollywood is at the moment where they're constantly doing sequels, like, you can have situations yeah, where you just, can have... Yeah, just have... How about have the Ghostbusters remake end with the Stay Puft Marshmallow destroying New York City and everyone dies and that's it? <laughs> that's it. Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, there's no, there is no Ghostbusters 3. They have all died. <laughs> Ghosts yeah, um, killed them. Yeah, so yeah. So I, guess, I don't know. What about you? What bad guys do you root for? Uh, most of them. <laughs> Most of them. I, I, I am. I mean, I know that like when I watch The Walking Dead, I watch because I want every single character to be eaten by zombies. <laughs> Walking Dead. I fell off that. I fell off that bandwagon a while ago. Yeah. I just, 
I mean, partly because the characters are, most of them, like like 90% of the characters are so completely hateable that you're just like, oh, I just want this guy to be eaten by a zombie so bad. All I want to see is this guy just torn to shreds by zombies. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there was a few, like in the early seasons, I couldn't remember their names, but man, like... Shane. Shane was the big one. Like, the guy was so infuriating that now when I see that actor and other stuff, I'm like, oh, this movie obviously sucks. <laughs> um, who's another guy? Like, maybe... Um, I feel like there are sports movies where you can't help but root for the villains a little bit. Um, trying to think of the sort of... Oh, escape. well, like, the, like, yeah. I mean, who isn't rooting for, like, the Cobra Kai in Karate Kid? You know, like, the, <laughs> yeah. just the, the all of the pampered rich kids who have no problems in life that make the bad guy teams in, like, the Bad News Bears and every single sports movie. Like, hey, like, you know, those kids, their parents paid a lot to train them for this, and... I don't know, maybe they've been working hard, maybe they've got some issues on their own side that's playing out, and maybe that's why they're being such bullies, you know? Like, we don't really we don't really think about what's going on for the dudes of, of Cobra Kai. Yeah, or, like, even someone like even Drago in Rocky IV or something. Like, the guy oh, has... Drago is a great bad... I mean, he's a great bad guy because you kind of like him at the end, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, like... I fight for me. Him? That's, like, he that, says, yeah. Like, yeah, exa- exactly. Like, that whole scene, like, I fight for me. Like, I fight for me. That's an incredibly, like, deep moment. And it kind of sheds light on the fact that this was a guy who shepherded into the system, who was just kind of... Um, who was kind of forced into doing everything he He's been a pawn in does. their game. He's been a pawn in their game for all and this time. And he finally breaks out of it. But, like, the ultimate end of that story is that he gets KO'd by Rocky in a fight that is utterly ridiculous in terms right, of Right, with, like, realism. 700 um, headshots. <laughs> and yeah. so, like, what happens... So, like, in reality, what happens to Ivan Drago? He's in Siberia somewhere. And <laughs> he yeah. He just forsook the entire, <laughs> the entire system. Yeah, but it was cool. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that I fight for me is, like, one of my most frequently quoted lines. Because, <laughs> like, whenever anyone else wants me to do something to benefit a team, I, I just point out that I fight for me. I fight for me. That's me. Yeah. No, I mean, there's something. There's, yeah, it's cool. Uh, all right. Well, we got to wrap up. Luke, uh, thank you for being a bad, a bad guy that I can root for. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. Or a good guy that I root against. It, it depends <laughs> on the day. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. Always a pleasure. You can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Check out Luke. Check out me. We're both writing at ftw.usadelay.com. Luke, peace out. Take it easy, Ted.